Welcome to Strategies for Turbulent Times with your hosts, Matthew Werner and Dr. Kathy Greenberg, here to help you stare down adversity, adapt, improvise, and overcome the challenges you are facing in your own life. Now, here are Dr. Kathy and Captain Matthew. Welcome today. We are going to be having a very interesting conversation with Greg Branch, and I hesitate because sometimes he is Gregory Branch, sometimes he is Greg Branch, but regardless, I just want to make everybody aware that Greg has an amazing background. Um, He is going to talk to us today about what he is doing in the global world uh, of banking security but uh, Greg is a, a longtime uh, friend of mine, and uh, originally uh, we met back at the uh, FBI in Philadelphia. Uh, I was doing some work there with their chaplain, Dr. Uh, sorry, Father Michael Mannion. Uh, and um, before I tell you any more about Greg, I just want to Welcome, everybody, to today, and welcome my co-host, Matthew. How are you doing today? Oh, awesome. I mean, this heat wave is great, <laughs> and when you lose ACs, it's uh, yeah, air conditioning, it's um, even better, and then you got a talk show. So uh, we're doing awesome today. hope everybody else is staying cool out there. <laughs> it, it, I'll tell you, everybody, this, is, uh, this has been a real learning experience for me, and I'm a little gobsmacked and short on words today because it has been mind-boggling, uh, not only the heat, but when you live on a boat, and I think many of you know that we live on our boat down here in Florida, you know, every day you wake up and it's, okay, what's not going to work? Uh, we have had such a great run with you, our audience. I just want to let you know that we are astounded by your reception. Uh, We are uh, just blown away by the love. And as you know, we are really advocates of loving you, our audience. We don't think you get enough love and service to all of us as professionals in the first responder business. Uh, Matthew, anything you want to bring up today about life in general before we jump on here with, uh, with Greg? No, I just, uh, yeah, welcome, Greg. Uh, I just want to get to uh, your voice and hearing your uh, your history, but just reading up on your bio, um, yeah, what a fascinating history you have, and we're super excited just to uh, to chat with you over the next hour, and um, hopefully the audience gets some tidbits uh, for the VUCA environment, the volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous environment that we actually uh, find ourselves in quite often even though we're trying to find that peace and harmony and balance in life. So Greg served for 24 years uh, as a special agent in the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, We have lots of acronyms for FBI, and Greg, we can get into that later, (laughs) where where Greg worked on a variety uh, of um, of violations uh, to include the Philadelphia Violent Crimes Task Force, drugs, uh, the Latin King Task Force, the Anthrax 
Task Force. He also worked complex white-collar matters and managed the Philadelphia Special Agent Recruiting Program. And after his retirement in 2018, he was hired as the Director of Recruitment for the Southeastern Transportation Agency, known as SEPTA. It is the sixth largest transportation agency in the country, which is located in Philadelphia. I used that line many, many years, wrote my dissertation on that line. In 2021, he accepted a new role with TD Bank, the nation's sixth largest bank, and he served as vice president of the crime prevention program for the bank. And also, um, he served uh, as the law enforcement liaison for this section of the global security section of TD. Greg holds a, a master's and a bachelor's from Seton Hall University. And he is very active in many nonprofit organizations as well as in his church. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Matt. It's good to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're happy to have you. So, you know, let me uh, give the audience a little bit of background. So I talked about Father Michael Mannion, the chaplain for uh, law enforcement and the uh, FBI in the tri-state region, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Delaware and New Jersey, but Father works all the way up to New York and all the way down to D.C. headquarters and is one of the most gracious human beings. And uh, he introduced us, and you were one of those people that jumped on the opportunity to bring emotional intelligence into the FBI, uh, along with some of our other colleagues and our, our assistant directors at the time, and I want to thank you for doing that. Um, Matthew, why don't you kick off uh, our first question for Greg? Yeah, so, um, Greg, you know, it's especially when we get older, we find ourselves all too often having so many experiences. But looking back, um, when you started your career, um, you know, with law enforcement, with, uh, you know, serving, you know, this nation, um, who was who had the most influence on your life? Could you share that with us? Uh, sure. Um, a couple people. Uh, I, I could go on for the next hour to tell you how influential my mom was with me. Uh, she raised us by herself, so my mother was both mother and father. But uh, some out, outside influences were uh, two guys specifically, a guy by the name of Father Justin Biazzi, who was a uh, – uh, uh, basically the pastor of the of the church where the school that I belonged to, St. Bart's, was. And uh, he was always there kind of as a mentor and a guide. And, you know, he knew my situation, you know, uh, growing up and um, was always there as kind of a, like an older mentor. And, uh, and, and we were tight up until uh, his death about, you know, maybe eight years ago. And then my, uh, my mom's brother, my godfather, my uncle, uh, was another uh, person who was very influential in my life. And both those guys kind of kept me on the straight and narrow. Uh, I had a pretty boring childhood, so I didn't really, wasn't a whole lot of, there was a lot of temptation, but my mother did a real good job of keeping me away from that kind of stuff. I grew up uh, right outside of Philly in New Jersey, uh, Camden, which is, uh, you know, one of the more challenging, the tougher city uh, in the country. Um, but those two people 
between just walks and talks and keeping me involved in different activities and exposing me to other things that were outside of my space here in uh, Camden were, as I look back, were, were very influential, introducing me to people. Uh, I did everything from caddying at a, a country club to, uh, you know, working at the church. So uh, that was kind of all I knew, and that kept me focused on things that I really needed to be focused on and kept me out of trouble. So I'm, I'm very thankful for, for, for both of those people. So I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, you and, and Matthew are about the same size. You're both over six feet tall. Um, you guys look like freedom fighters. You know, when you say you, you were trying to stay out of trouble, I would assume trouble kind of found you. <laughs> uh, it, it, it could, and sometimes it did. But I think, um, again, as I look back, the driving force was just kind of, I never really, as, as corny as this may sound, I never really wanted to disappoint my mom because I knew I could see how hard and tough it was for her to just do what she was doing. And I didn't want her to ever get a phone call. Hey, you know, he's in jail or he got arrested for this or he was shoplifting here. Um, and I was really, really involved uh, and active at church in not so much the spiritual side at that time, but just activities and around like-minded people. Uh, so much so that I was even at one point thinking about becoming a priest. And, uh, and then I, you know, that fell off by the wayside when I found out I, you know, I couldn't get married. So as I got older, I said, oh, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> but so, but I, I just respected all those people so much. And, uh, like I said, Father Justin and, uh, you know, you never, there were none of the things that you, you hear about the clergy, uh, the, the dark side, you know, there was none of that at, at the church I belonged to. And, um, and I, I, I can't thank them enough. They were some of the best teachers I had. You know, some of the, the nuns, and I remember their names to this day. But, yeah, trouble was there if you wanted it. Um, but, you know, I was, it was just a blessing that I, it, it passed me over. Or I was smart enough to just say, hey, no, not today. You know, Greg, um, no, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, I'm reflecting on my, you know, growing up. I grew up with a single mother as well. Um, and okay. the challenge is, of, you know, not having a father in a household, um, yes. but also the importance of community and family. And that's what I, you know, the foundation, as you're describing it, that's set uh, with having a, a male figure that's, uh, that you look up to as a young man, but also that can help you stay out of trouble, even though, you know, we're not perfect and all too often we find yes. ourselves in that situation because of poor decisions as a young male. Um, it's, uh, I, I truly appreciate you for sharing that because it is oh. it's like for me, single mother, nurse, working nights, um, only had one other sibling. Um, there you go. and you know, it, back then it was, uh, you know, caretakers were whatever you could find for the price. And, um, you know, it's uh it's super awesome and i'm i'm looking forward to uh you know chatting with you a little bit more but i don't want to get too into it but the importance of church uh you know having a father figure or somebody that you look up to like my uncles um and i grew up around the farm so you know it's a dollar a day all the corn you can eat and just uh 
you know, as a playground for a young male uh, that was born. Uh-huh. So, yep. Uh, I, well, you know, so uh, both of you are very accomplished, so you can appreciate, you probably look back at your mom and go like, wow, she's done way more than I ever did, you know, with, with very, very little. So that's kind of how I, I, I feel the same way. So uh, What's well, funny is, as you two, yeah. as you two are talking about, you know, being raised by a single mother. Of course, I raised my daughter by myself as a single mom, but I will tell you both, <laughs> I begged my parents to get divorced. I was like, y'all don't belong together. Like, this is, this is, this is bedlam in here. <laughs> so, so, yes, I love my mother and I love my father, but they definitely did not belong together. But, you know, growing up in inner city Philadelphia where I grew up, where you grew up, Greg, in the, you know, on that mm-hmm. borderline of New Jersey, uh, it, it can be tough. You know, I grew up in inner city um, near West Philly, um, and it's not always uh, the, the the Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Tell us a little bit about how did you decide to get into law enforcement, and what the heck were you thinking it would be like? So it's kind of funny. Um, so when I was at Seton Hall, I was in uh, Air Force ROTC. And I, I joined the Air Force. Uh, I got my commission when I graduated. And I was in for a short period, you know, a couple of years. And then I, I came out. Initially, I planned to, hey, maybe I'll make a career of this. But uh, that didn't happen. So um, while I was in, while I was in uh, summer training, uh, I met an OSI agent, Office of Inspe- Special Investigation. Uh, and they're basically like the FBI within the Air Force. And this guy uh, started talking to me about the Bureau uh, because he, he was asking me what, I, what else I thought I might do uh, when I got out of school. So he kind of wet my whistle there. And then uh, when I got out, let's say I guess I got out of school in 83 and I got into the Bureau in 95. So I uh, took a couple stabs at it. I ran into a couple hiring freezes, but eventually I got in. And I was, I was very, very happy, but at the same time, I was surprised because I couldn't believe that I had made it in because I, uh, I, I always heard it, how extremely competitive it was. So, uh, I was, I was floored and I was, uh, honored at the same time. Um, what did I expect? Uh, I expected probably some of the things that we all see and saw on television, but I also knew the reality of what the Bureau was because I had two uh, good buddies who were active agents, and they, they told me the real deal. But I just expected to get in there and uh, work on a team and work in a, uh, a, a tactical environment and conduct interviews and do some of the cool stuff that I had learned and about and saw while I was in the academy and then just from talking to them. And it just seemed like it would be a, it would be a perfect fit. And I had the blessing of uh, my then-wife to to join and I had a, a small daughter at the time and they were, of course they were all on board. So, uh, I just went in eyes wide open, uh, and ready to just kind of see, you know, where it took me. Um, and I was, you know, it was, it was a really nice, really nice ride. And I met some fantastic people, people who I'm friends with to this very day and, uh, feel honored that, uh, any, anyone really who, who gets into law enforcement, uh, because as a kid, like I said, growing up in Canada, the only real close contact I had with a cop was uh, 
a guy who used to come to St. Bart's every year. His name was Sergeant Randazzo. I remember the guy's name, and I, I always thought his name sounded like uh, it was a candy. And uh, he was the nicest guy. And uh, and then when I joined, uh, I, I found myself working on task forces. So I was working, yeah, I was working with agents, but I was working with a lot of police officers and detectives that were assigned to our office. And I was always told in the academy that the, that the first thing you should do, one of the best things you should do, is to attach yourself to some local officers because they really know uh, the streets of the city that you're going to, and they can really give you a flavor for what the law enforcement climate is and in the respective city that we're all being sent to. And that was, that was some great, great, great advice. Matt, it was like, you know, when you came into the military, everyone would say, hey, you need to hook up with a real good NCO. Um, you know, I was coming out of officer school, and they were like, hey, officers don't know anything. The NCOs know really what's happening <laughs> in that particular branch. So, so I, I, listened. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I was yeah, waiting yeah. for that. I mean, yeah, it's very true. Right. And, uh, well, and, Greg, and I, I listen. Well, we're going to listen to you some more. We're going to take a quick break. So hold that thought. Don't go away. Please, you're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. We're going to be right back after this break. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire. Educate. Impact and transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W O R X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. We're having a delightful conversation with Greg Branch, who is currently a corporate security professional uh, with uh, TD Bank. And prior to that, he was a special agent for over 24 years in the FBI. And when we went to break, uh, Greg, we were kind of making fun of the fact that uh, people in leadership roles (laughs) don't always get there (laughs) because they know what they're doing. (laughs) But right. when you um, when when you think about where you are now, and you think about all the things uh, in your career that you have done, I mean, you you told me some funny stories uh, along the way, where because of who you were in your team or in your task force, they would take you to the bad neighborhoods and have you knock on the doors and ask questions. (laughs) Maybe maybe you can a little bit about that. But um, as you look back at at your career, can you share some defining moments in the line of duty where you learned a hard lesson that made you uh, a better version of you? Sure. Um, I, I probably could give you two. Um, we all think about things in our respective careers that you kind of never forget. And uh, so with regards to my FBI career, and both of these happen uh, in the beginning to the middle of my career. The, the first one is where I learned something. Uh, and this was, I was probably out of the academy for about eight months. And we had a, uh, a an agent in the office uh, who was doing what's called a buy bus. Uh, he was undercover, and he was uh, supposed to be buying drugs from a uh, a drug dealer. Uh, and you probably remember hearing this, Kathy, if you were in Philadelphia at the time. Uh, but it was the guy's name was Chuck Reed. He was an agent who I'd seen in the office. I didn't know him, but I'd seen him. And he was a a, a pretty experienced um, undercover. Anyway, long story short. Uh, the operation went bad. They wound up the bad guy and Chuck in a car shooting each other to death because it, it seemed like the bad guy got hinky. He pulls out a weapon. Chuck pulled out his weapon, which was in a briefcase, and they basically were sitting in a car and shooting each other at point-blank range, and they were both killed. Uh, my supervisor sent me with two seasoned detectives and another new agent like myself, whose name is Mike, and we're, we're very good friends to this day. We went with this detective to the home of the, uh, the mother of the, of the subject of the bad guy, the victim. Now, we all walked in the home and knew that he was already deceased. And the detective, because it was a homicide, he was the lead. He knocked on the door, and he needed information from the mother to conduct this investigation. So in my mind, and I think in Mike's mind, we thought, as soon as we walked in, we were going to make her aware of the fact that her son was deceased. 
this guy didn't say anything about her son other than the fact that he was involved in a shooting with an FBI agent. And naturally, any mother's going to be concerned, wondering about the safety and the health of their son. And he, he must have asked her four or five questions. She stopped the interview at some point and said, hey, what about my son? She said, ma'am, I'm, I'm going to get to that. I, I don't know, but I'll, I'll certainly let you. Uh, he didn't say I don't know. He said, I'm going to see if I can get some more information on that. So he didn't lie to her. Then he asked another four or five questions. And I'm just sitting there going like, wow, why won't he tell her what we all know? By the, the third time she stopped him, he said, hold on a second. He picked up his phone. He walked to the other room. I don't think he called anyone. He came back and he said, ma'am, I'm sorry to report, but your son is deceased. And uh, at that moment, she naturally, you know, she became very emotional. She freaked out and literally threw us out of the house. So the lesson there that I learned, again, I was right out of the academy, was sometimes you have to, to further an investigation and to, to get to the bottom and to make sure that everything's buttoned up properly, you have to be patient and you have to be calculating in every interview. And I learned that at the academy, um, and I actually prided myself on being a pretty good interviewer. I, could, I had a guy who taught interviewing at the academy who was, this guy could talk a dog of a meat truck. He was just a Southern dude that just, hey, he could just, and he said, that's how you get people to talk. Well, this guy was, he was a master. And I never, ever, ever forgot that. Um, and as bad as I felt for that lady, because it wasn't her fault, you know, she had a, her, her son was dead, but he, he walked out with everything he wanted. Uh, and, and, and that was, that goes back to what I said about senior guys at the academy telling me, hook up with, a, with an old salty and uh, you'll, you'll go a long way. The other story was, I think I was in about 10 years, and I was, we had a citywide uh, suite. We were, we were arresting a bunch of drug dealers. Now, I was not in the city of Philadelphia, and I won't name the agency that I was with, but I was with uh, a myriad of different law enforcement officers from different agencies. Two guys were from a particular agency. Uh, they walked in, and we were in a, a guy's house, who was not the subject. He was not someone who's going to be arrested, but he was associated with uh, two of the main subjects. And we wanted information, and we were there to make sure, basically, that he wasn't on his phone and heating things up for us. So we hit the house, we knocked on the door, and we did a safety sweep, which is legal. Uh, walked through the house, hands on our weapons to make sure no one was there because phones were ringing all over the city. These two young guys, they were probably in about three years. They start digging through his closet, and they find basically a shoebox full of cash. If I had to take a guess, it might have been $15,000, $16,000. They bring it downstairs. I'm standing in the kitchen, and they show it to me. And they go, hey, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to take this. I say, hey, where'd you get that? He said, we got it in the closet. It was in the back. So I pull him off to the side and I say, hey, listen, we can't, you can't take this cash. You can't do anything with this cash because we, we don't have a search warrant for this property. We don't have an arrest warrant or a search warrant. And this is not a, it wasn't in, and the legal term is everyone on the call will know, it wasn't in plain view. So it just wasn't sitting out. You, you basically, they searched for it. They went through the guy's closet. And if you take this, uh, it, it will not be, it should not be allowed to be uh, held against this guy. Uh, and I said, I will not sign off on the fact that you saw it in plain view. 
I said, you guys have to understand. And I gave them as nicely as I could a lesson in, in searches, legal searches and illegal searches. And uh, I think the fact that I was a little bit more experienced, I was starting to get salt pepper in my hair. I was from the Bureau. They were from a smaller agency. And I said, hey, look, you can't do that. He's the main subject. You couldn't do that. And they, they took it well. They received it well. I talked to them some more outside. And, uh, and I always remembered that because when I came in, uh, and, and they preached this at the academy, ethics. And, and, and let me say, no agency, none, no agency is, is, is clear or is without fault or blemish. But they used to always say, hey, hey, young lad, don't ever embarrass the Bureau. You know, don't, and, and, that, they were, and, they, and they meant that. So that would have been something that I just couldn't have lived with, and I, would, I, I wouldn't have wanted to be a part of that. I knew it wasn't right, and I just needed to kind of, in my own way, get them off on the right start. So that made me uh, feel better because I would have felt awful if I had said nothing. And it wasn't like they were trying to take the money or steal it or anything like that. They were just trying to make a case. But I explained to them outside that you have to make a case properly. And when it goes to trial, you don't want anything like that to, 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 to blow it for you because it wasn't taken legally. And, and, and we are supposed to be uh, above the law. Yeah, we, <clears throat> I appreciate that, Greg. Um, you know, a couple from your first story, you know, the, the finding the old salt, so to speak, um, you know, as a mentor, as, as a coach, you know, as a leader, um, it's, you know, a lot of times that we have this discussion, um, you know, with what Kat and I are doing, working with law enforcement, SWAT commanders, SWAT uh, team leaders, uh, SWAT teams, but also first responders um, and DOD. The, um, you know, it's, it's as a young person to find that mentor or that coach or that old salt, so to speak, uh, is critical to having a sound mind, a successful career. Um, but let's take it into the personal life, you know, finding that coach, that, that, uh, that person that can ask you the hard right questions, but also lead you in the right direction in order to make the hard right call, as you were talking about in your second story there, uh, when you are leading uh, uh, people. But, uh, yeah, to find that, that personal coach or that mentor, it, it, like I said, it, it's absolutely critical uh, for your own well-being. Um, once you do get older, yeah. you're, you're forced to make that hard right call, but also you're asked to make that hard right call, like in your for your uh, you know career for the nation. You know, it's it's uh, being that yeah. uh, responsible operator or leader um, when you know that there's higher implications towards not just yourself but also for the community that you serve. Yes, couldn't agree more. So as I, I listened to the two of you, two things came to my mind, and, and for our audience, I just want to throw this out. What you shared in that first story uh, about the, uh, the individual who had passed and you are doing an interview with their, you know, their, their parents, and you're trying not to reveal that information before the time is right. I think it's so important for us to understand that 
regardless of what the circumstances are, in order for us to get information out of people in a relationship, whether the information is one of friendship or caring or one that underlies an investigation, the two most powerful things a human being can do for another human being is connect and reveal. And that process of connecting and revealing, whether you're doing it first in a, you know, an effort to be authentic and, and make that powerful connection with somebody to be able to ask the difficult questions or to ask what the, the real uh, meat of the issue might be where you will get the reveal Those are two powerful steps that we all learn when we're going through our coach certification, when we're doing our practice. And I think what you just described is something that all law enforcement professionals can do better at, which is connecting and revealing so that they can actually get what they want in any situation, good, bad, or otherwise. And I think that that's that's a lesson that all of us um, can easily remember, connect and reveal. It's so important. Let me um, let me jump into a- another question here, Greg. You know, we always sure. like to leave the last portion of our show to really get into the meat of turbulent time. So, if you could just dig deep and share a time when you had planned for every detail of an op, and for whatever reason, it just derailed and almost cost a life, yours or someone else's, or if it did, how did you manage to get left a bang, get yourself back on track, and come out of this where you are now uh, in a successful post-law enforcement role? Um. So this was uh, a, a time I was on the bank robbery squad, and I guess I had been in about eight or nine, maybe almost 10 years. It wasn't my particular case, but I was assisting uh, a fellow classmate, and, and the whole squad was assisting him on this arrest because this particular individual had become a huge problem for the squad in general. Uh, basically what he was doing is he was robbing he wasn't robbing banks. He was robbing armored cars as they came up to banks. And this wow. individual was extreme, extremely violent. He would uh, jump out with his crew and actually throw a few rounds at the guards to let them know that, you know, he was serious. He had shot one guard, uh, I believe, in the leg. So he was definitely on our radar, and uh, we had, by this time, had confidential sources who had given us information that the individual was in a particular part of Philadelphia, and we identified a residence where he would come to visit a lady friend of his uh, around mid-morning to uh, noon. So uh, we put a we put a van in front of the residence, and I was charged with being what we call in the FBI being the eye. So I was in this van with another agent who was uh, a seasoned agent guy by the name of Gill. And Gil was a former Navy fighter pilot, and uh, he was the squad uh, 
we affectionately referred to him as our cowboy. Gil, Gil would do anything. Uh, unfortunately, this was one of those days where it was a 95-degree day, kind of the heat we're going through now. And as I said, we were in a van with no air, and it was a cargo van, just a beat-up old van. And so Gil and I sat in that van from about 8 until about noon. So long story short, we're in the van, and we're, we're by the hour, we're stripping shirt off, undershirt, back on. We're cracking the window laying up near the steering wheel, just letting, you know, slivers of air get in. Finally, the case agent is about to uh, call off the operation because he hasn't shown. Well, probably at about 5 of 12, I look out and I see uh, the subject. I'll just call him Mike. Um, and uh, he's got on a red Phillies hat with a white T-shirt and blue uh, denim shorts. I'll never forget what he had on. And he's sitting on the step. He comes out of the house, he's sitting on the step, and he's looking. It's almost as if he's looking at the van. But naturally, he's just looking out at the street. We're on a small street in a row house. He gets up, he starts walking towards the van, and we have uh, agents positioned around the corner. We have cops. We even had a helicopter on standby. We, we, just, we had about 20 people, our entire squad, and also uh, some guys from that district who were there. Uh, and, and our job was just to call out when he got into a car or when he was on foot. So he walks to the van. I call out, hey, the subject's headed south on Elm Street on foot. Then I see he, he, he walks, he gets into a car. Well, backing up a second, when he walked to his car, he literally had to come by the back door of the van. And all I had to do was open the door, grab him by the collar, and just, you know, put my big fat butt down on him. He was a smaller guy. But that wasn't the plan, and if it, had, if it hadn't worked, then uh, the case agent would have been all over me. Uh, so I let him go. I followed the plan. He gets in his car. He goes around the corner. Gil and I call it. Hey, he's headed down the street. He's, he made a left. And then we hop out of the van. We are literally dripping. We look like we both came out of a tub. And, you know, we're <laughs> kind of laughing. Yeah, we got him. Hey, everything's good. Uh, we get in the van. We start it up. We blast the air. We start moving out, and I say to Gil, I say, hey, Gil, I, I, don't, I don't hear anything on the radio. I don't hear that they got him in custody. And Gil, Gil like, waves off, no, no, they got him. You know, the number of people, they got him. We turn the corner, and all of a sudden we start hearing on the, <clears throat> the radio, hey, Bravo 3, which was my number, he's coming your way, he's coming your way, because they knew where we were. Uh, what had happened around the corner, he goes around the corner, and he's, going to see another person I guess he knows when he hops out of the car as he steps out um, Ed guy on our squad has an MP5 and he basically sticks it in his chest uh, Mike you're under arrest FBI get your hands up he looks at him for two seconds he jumps back in the car and the mistake that was made Ed pulled up parallel to him instead of uh, blocking him off like, you know, kind of slanting the car so they couldn't move. And he just takes off. And now we've got this crazy uh, Laurel and Hardy, you know, cops chasing this car. He's going down the street. It's kids outside. There's summer camps going on. People are crossing the street. Lights and sirens, everybody. Gil and I hit the corner. We see him coming down in our direction. He's barreling down. We pull our weapons out because he's approaching us. And we're thinking he's going to 
hit this stop sign and we're going to fire into the car. Right as he gets about, I don't know, 20 yards away, he hops a curb and he takes it down a side street, plows into three cars, and he bails. Uh, long story Greg, short. Stay. Yep, Greg, stay right there. We're going to okay. be right back. So don't go away. You're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. I want to thank both of our sponsors, MagnusWorks.com and the National Command and Staff College for making this possible. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire, educate, impact, and transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we have our uh, special guest here, Greg Branch, who's uh, sharing <laughs> sharing a very... Uh, um, uh, unique, but yet uh, very interesting story about the time they planned, you know, every detail of an op, as most operations go, you try to do the best planning that you can. And uh, for the reason that he's sharing with us, you know, it de- derailed and uh, almost cost, um, you know, lives, but also uh, more importantly, or just as important, you know, how did he manage to get uh, back on, on, on track? So, 
Uh, Greg, go ahead and uh, please uh, continue with uh, with that time and how you got over the uh, the challenges. Yeah, so uh, very quickly to close it. So we, we get back, you know, everyone's down. We get back to the squad area, and it was like uh, the team that loses the Super Bowl. I mean, we all, we wanted this guy. We could taste him. We saw him. We had him. I'm second-guessing myself. Hey, I should have opened the door. I should have just tackled him. Uh, you know, we're we're trying to make uh, our other colleague feel better because he, he didn't slant on the stop. Uh, hey, you know, it could have happened to anybody. And this guy was still out there. Uh, we wind up catching him. Um, about three weeks later, we called him at a girl's house. We, we woke him up. He was in bed. Um, but the, the lesson was we didn't come back and just kill each other, point the finger and, you know, blame anybody uh, as depressed and down as we were because we knew how dangerous he was and how it could have gone even worse than that. If while he was shoot, if while he was running, he was shooting, you know, he could have hit a couple kids. He could have hit, you know, a little old lady out sweeping her front. There were that many people out there. Um, but, um, that, that was the lesson, like, hey, <clears throat> be tactical, uh, try to think in the moment. And, uh, and it, as you know, Matt, it never, it never ever goes completely as planned. But, um, that's just one operation that sticks out because we wanted this guy, like, uh, you know, like we wanted the Eagles to win the Super Bowl last year. So that was, uh, that was our Super Bowl. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I hold dear is that uh, you can do so much mission planning and you can plan, plan, plan. You can get as much intel as you can, but nothing's perfect. And as you just very well said, I mean, you just stated it that, uh, you know, you have to plan for those contingencies. And one of the things I took as a senior leader is that my boss, my commanding officer, he would red sell the crap out of every plan that we had. I mean, some of the stuff that he would ask for us to plan for, I just would scratch my head and be like, you know, I got 15 years <laughs> in and never been asked this question. Um, yes, we have a plan for, you know, X, Y, and Z, but now he's going into LMN and it's like, yeah, that's 2% that that's going to happen, you know, but yeah, contingency planning and uh, plan for the worst, expect the best, right? Right. That's right. You got it. So let me just do a, a, just a quick recap on what we've heard today, Greg, from you. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, sure. Okay. When, when we look at your career, the things that stand out are, and I think Matthew would agree with this, is attach yourself to a pro uh, and make them your mentor. And there may be more than one, but uh, getting that, that guidance, early in your career makes a difference because it leads to number two, which is that moral courage, that ethics mm -hmm. that you need to really be the best version of you uh, on the front line when decisions matter. And then three, as you just described, uh, don't play the blame game. Uh, everybody's going to make mistakes at some point in their career. You don't want to be that person on the team that is always looking for what went wrong and then focusing on that because when you get locked down in that negative thinking, you're going to draw uh, more of that negative energy towards you. So those were my Absolutely. three takeaways. 
uh, from the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. A uh, couple things. I just want to give a shout out to <clears throat> TACOP conferences. Uh, if you go to TACOP.com, you'll see a conference near you. Uh, Matthew and I are always there uh, sharing some of our advice and takeaways from, from these programs. And, Greg, any, um, any other ideas, thoughts uh, that pop up uh, in your recollection uh, about your career that you would share with either a new person coming into law enforcement or a seasoned professional who is thinking about what they're going to do uh, as they uh, plan for their future? Um, so, yeah, all of us generally in law enforcement, most guys want to transition out into either corporate security or some other uh, uh, space where they can utilize the skill set that we all have. Uh, and my, my advice to everyone would be to, at some point in your career, as best you can, try to get some type of management slash leadership experience. Uh, the best part of the job is the investigator. The best part, if you talk to any FBI agent, is being an agent, a street agent. But at some point, you have to, um, you have to kind of step away and start thinking about the future and whether you're managing a squad or uh, you're managing, you know, say a SWAT team or something, that's going to help you to transition into corporate America uh, or other public service entities a lot better than if you're, I don't want to say just an investigator, but um, that's what companies are looking for. They're looking for leadership. Who have you led? Who have you managed? Um, naturally, if you can, uh, get back to school for any types of certifications, whether it's a degree, an advanced degree, things like that. And then uh, finally, I think it's just creating relationships with people prior to leaving. Um, Kathy, as you know, you saw me many times at the Citizens Academy. Uh, when I was doing the HR thing for the Bureau, that put me in a whole different space. People would say, hey, how'd you get in the director of recruiting? You're an FBI agent while I was in charge of hiring for the Bureau, so that kind of dovetailed into that. But I really wanted to get back to something closer to what I did as an agent, and that's, you know, kind of how I got the TD. So I just kept, you know, connect, connect, apply, call, whatever it was to kind of connect to something that I really wanted to do the last couple years of my work life. So I would just say uh, expose yourself to other people, other things. Don't be afraid to try different things. Uh, and then always have a little polish. Uh, the one thing that we do in law enforcement and the military is sometimes we speak in that military or law enforcement jargon. There's sometimes yeah. some not too nice words <laughs> and, you know, that doesn't, that can't come over here. Uh, yeah. so you have to make sure that, uh, you're ready to go into that and, and, and go at that pace and, and interact with other professionals. But it's, uh, it's definitely a life after law enforcement, and it's a, it's a good life. And I still feel like I'm making a small contribution, you know, protecting the bank. That's our slogan in Corp Security, protect the bank at all costs, whether it's customers, or, uh, uh, employees, you know, cyber 
you know, any physical security concerns, you know, we're protecting the bank. So it's kind of an extension of what everyone, uh, probably everyone on this call does. So that's, yep. that's just yeah, what, what, a, what a great, uh, what a what great ending to this hour here, Greg. Um, and I love how you talk about the polish because, you know, we get stuck in our ways and this is one thing that cat beats me over the head, like a, uh, killer whale to a seal. Uh, it's like, yeah, you have to have that polish. Yeah, no, you know? no pun intended. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, killer whale to seal. That was. <laughs> Thank you. I am now a killer whale. In the... seal. I'm not that big. But... I am not that big. I'm just saying. But yeah, you're exactly right because you know we have the Freudian slips, and we're in a in front of a you know sometimes 1,500 people, and uh, you know yeah. it's just something they have to polish. I love it. Love it. So, uh, so last question I like to ask, uh, you know, just a unique question to uh, every guest of ours, um, especially with, uh, you know, law enforcement, military, DOD, uh, you know, we're constantly on our feet, we're constantly moving, um, you know, we don't find ourselves behind a desk too often, or at least we try not to, like you're talking about, you know, being an agent in your line of work is the best time of your life, you're out there doing yeah. and fixing. Um, but, you know, with so many years on, you know, on your feet, um, what's your pa- favorite pair of socks that you like, Greg? Oh, my favorite pair of socks? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, that's a tough question. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I know a brand of socks. Uh, athletic socks, I know a lot of my socks say Asics, but my dress socks, uh, oof. It, they probably, <laughs> if I looked in my drawer, would probably be uh, Joseph Abood. I got a couple okay. pairs. I just yeah, remember because yeah. I see the I see the name, but my my dogs uh, are uh, you know yeah, you got to protect those dogs. Right? <laughs> yeah, I got Greg, big. We have feet, had a so. we've had a delightful time talking with you today. Thank you so much for sharing <laughs> oh, your you life with us thank today you. on Strategies for Turbulent Times. We got to wrap up, everybody. Please. Uh, go to our landing page, uh, take a look at magnusworks.com, our well-being app. The National Command and Staff College has an array of programs just perfect for you as a first responder, law enforcement, DOD, and we love you. Come back soon. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Strategies for Turbulent Times. We hope Dr. Cat and Captain Matt were able to help you create a plan or simply steer clear of the unknown with ways to overcome challenges in your own life. Until next time, be brilliant and stay fearless.